Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Relevant Faith Podcast uh, with Troy today, and we're going to talk about Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, Our Lord is risen, and it's a time for celebration, even when um, things are hard and we can't meet in person. And, and Easter is going to look a little different this year, but um, I think I think this episode will still be be a great resource for people. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. Easter is, is very interesting holiday for me. Um, I, uh, growing up uh, in, the, in the Catholic Church, um, I grew up going to um, Catholic middle school and Catholic elementary school. Um, I always knew Easter was about the resurrection of Jesus, but, you know, mm-hmm. my earliest memories of Easter is just like picking up eggs, waking up in the morning like Christmas and going to get like an Easter basket. I don't mm-hmm. know if people still do that, but it would be like an Easter basket filled with like chocolate bunnies and a gift and, and stuff like that. Um, and so like I knew it was about Jesus, but also I wanted that chocolate. Right. And I wanted the, the Easter bunny <laughs> eggs and, and all of that stuff. Um and so, you know, as an adult, as an adult convert, you know, whenever Easter comes up, I always get like surprised. I'm kind of like, oh, man, like mm. it's Easter already. Like, oh, boy, I never like it surprised me like, oh, we haven't done anything to prepare for this or whatever. And um, I don't know, Troy, what 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 what's mm. Easter been like for you growing up? Yeah, well, actually, uh, my grandmother, uh, she she died when I was very young. She died of ovarian cancer, I think in her 40s. Um, so she was very young. And one of my only memories with her was I remember her giving me two very large chocolate bunnies on uh, Easter. That's a nice memory. <laughs> that's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much the only memory I still have uh, with her because I didn't get to see her very much before she died. But um, that was kind of my introduction to Easter um, my parents were both Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, one thing I've noticed uh, within the Seventh-day Adventist tradition is we don't upplay Easter as much as evangelical traditions do, and we tend to more more upplay the crucifixion part. So if there's like a balance, SDAs tend to put more emphasis on the crucifixion and the Christ dying to sin than they do on Easter and the resurrection. Um, so religiously, I didn't really, I didn't really think much of the resurrection as a kid. Uh, it was kind of just some idea, you know, it wasn't anything significant to me um, until much, much later in yeah, my life. I can relate to that because, you know, it was just weird. Like we would do um, like the stations of the cross as a Catholic. If anybody was Catholic, they know what that mm. is. Um, it's like the 15 stations and you would go around and it's just all about, um, 
like 15 moments in the crucifixion of Jesus. Like if you've ever seen mm. the movie The Passion of the Christ, they do all 15 mm-hmm. stations of the cross. Like when Jesus wipes his face on the towel and his face appears in the towel, that's like a Catholic thing from the stations of the cross. Mm. Um, yeah. And we would do that every Easter and we'd have like the Easter like play or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, like, like you said, like, it would always just be there in the background, but it was never about Jesus's death and resurrection. It, it was never yeah. like a focal point. Um, yeah. And, you know, at least like as a Catholic for me growing up, um, we would have Lent beforehand. Right. And that was kind mm, of something mm-hmm. where, you know, as a kid, I never really took Lent. I never did anything for Lent. Like you give up something for Lent. I never fasted um, yeah. food or like otherwise. Um, but, you know, Lent would always yeah. kind of be like, hey, in 40 days of Easter, get ready. And as an adult now, an adult convert who who met the risen Jesus, I don't like follow Lent, right, or, or do Lent. But it is kind of like a time for me now where yeah. I know that Easter's coming and it gives me time to like meditate and to focus on Jesus. And sometimes, you know, fasting's cool. And uh, sometimes I do that. You know, sometimes I do give up something that I know that the Spirit's telling me that like, I mm-hmm. I'm addicted to or, or something that's like interfering with my relationship with the Lord. And it says a lead mm-hmm. up to, to Easter, you know? And so um, mm. maybe that's too Catholic for some people, but um, I still think that there's value in some of like the older traditions of people getting ready for yeah. Easter and Jesus's death and resurrection. Yeah. I think there's something beautiful to Lent uh, in the sense of like, I want to be, more in the space, both mentally and physically and spiritually of reflecting on Christ. I think that's actually a beautiful thing. And to call a community into doing that, um, there's nothing but good that can come out of that. I mean, it is more sacramental in the Catholic tradition and it it is more of like a thing that you could do, you know, as a, just a Protestant in general. But I think there's some beautiful, uh, some beautiful uh, beauty. I shouldn't say beautiful. There's some beauty to it in general. I, I really like yeah. that idea. You know, something that my wife and I have, have been doing, um, something that I, I want to try to do more of is, so so Easter is a historical event, right? Jesus, Jesus mm-hmm. was a person. He lived in the first century uh, Palestine, Middle East area. He, he was crucified. He had, there was a Passover. All these events happened in history. And so Um, What I try to do is on like whole um, Palm Sunday, read in the scriptures when Jesus like comes into Jerusalem in the last Mm. week and just read that. And then that would actually be on Palm Sunday. And then throughout the week, read some of the scripture stories of what Jesus was doing that week leading up to his death. And, um, you know, my wife and I are trying to to fine tune it. But, you know, um, yesterday, yesterday was Wednesday, Passover. And I think Mm -hmm. um, that as Christians, not obviously we don't have to celebrate Jewish holidays. That's Christ set us free, but having understanding of these Jewish holidays, I think it gives great meaning and and clarity to, to our Christian traditions. And so we read the Passover story and what that Mm. meant. And then um, Mm. today's Thursday, we're going to read the, the last supper event because Passover in the first century, 80, 33, when Jesus got crucified was on a Thursday. So, you know, read the, mm. the last supper on Thursday night. And then, you know, when Friday morning we read the scripture 
when Jesus was like in front of Pontius Pilate and, um, you know, he gets crucified Friday night. And then we have a Sabbath to just meditate on the fact that what would it have been like to be a disciple of Jesus when he just got crucified, not knowing that the next day, Easter Sunday, new creation was going to start. And it's just, it's been a fun, like experiment and and it's kind of put us in that story and i don't know we're just really kind of enjoying living living it you know yeah i think it's so uh, super cool actually tonight um my wife and i we had our own little last supper meal we had some unleavened crackers matzo crackers from the store and some grape juice and we just read the passage together and um and then broke the bread and and ate the meal and that was kind of how I broke my fast this week was with that, that last supper meal. Yeah. So I think it was really rewarding. It just, yeah, just for us to together as a couple to be able to think about the same things is always really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Um, and, you know, it's just, just talking about, you know, living that story and, and the last supper and stuff, you know, in the new Testament, the new Testament writers, man, they are just all about, um, the resurrection. Everything they kind of, they kind of talk about is about the resurrection. Um, it's like a focal point. And so like, why do you think, I mean, obviously we can say why it's important, but, but scripturally, like what, what do you think the importance is of, of the resurrection to the new Testament writers? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the most like eye-opening messages I ever heard, I was down in California for a leadership conference and uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, he's a big, I think he's evangelical pastor over in Georgia. Um, but he preached this kind of message on uh, a book that he had just written called, uh, it was called Irresistible. And in the book, uh, he lays out the premise of like basically the thing that's gotten Christianity um, to lose power uh, in, in transforming people's lives is the emphasis on the Bible as the highest authority on earth. And that may sound like, okay, that makes sense. Like the Bible would be your highest authority. But the point he makes uh, in the book and in his message that day that I listened to was that the apostles and his followers all of their authority came from seeing Christ alive after he was dead. So their testimony, the literal New Testament that emerged was their firsthand eyewitness experience seeing Christ. And that's the message they shared, right? They shared that Christ was alive again, that he was the Messiah. And then that was the fulfillment of all the prophetic stuff that was written in Torah in the old Testament. But, the emphasis and what made the gospel irresistible is that people believe that Christ rose from the dead because they saw it and they, you know, they saw these men and the spirit was, was in these men that were sharing the message of the risen Christ. And to me, uh, that was just a huge, like, Oh yeah. Like the greatest authority on Christ isn't the, uh, on earth isn't the Bible. It's Christ. The greatest authority on earth is Christ himself as a man, as a person, you know, indwelt by the spirit, which he gave us, you know, and scripture verifies the authenticity of Christ as the Messiah. But to put all my faith in just the man himself, you know, there is a power to that. And there's also uh, a lifting of the burden. Like I don't have to teach somebody how to understand the Bible perfectly for them to get Christ, you know, because Christ 
is revealing himself to that person in a unique way as well, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. within scripture and outside of scripture. Yeah. That, that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, it's funny that, that you, you mentioned it like that because um, in my story, you know, I, I talked about how I deconstructed my faith and reconstructed my faith and I kind of look at it as like a pyramid, how I reconstructed my face, faith. And at the bottom mm. of my pyramid is the resurrection of Christ. And we'll talk mm. about this a little later after the break, but um, with, with the resurrection of Christ, it's the most highly attested to miracle there is in the, in the world history. Yeah. And so, you know, the foundation of my faith is the resurrection of Christ. And then above that pyramid in like a, a smaller tier is the authority of scripture. And so yeah. I have these like yeah. levels of my faith pyramid that if something gets rattled, I can always go down to the lower level and be like, well, okay, the authority of scripture is still like valid, right? Or resurrection, yeah. Jesus rose yeah. from the dead, period. And so, you know, it's funny for me, like the, the, why, why I think the writers really wrote about the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament wrote about Jesus' resurrection so much is it's, it's the accumulation of Israel's story, right? I, I love the Bible. And one of the reasons I love the Bible is that it's a story and it's a story about what yeah. God's doing in our world. And we're a part of that story. We can live in it. And, you know, you have, you have this story of God creating humanity to, to rule on God's behalf over the earth as king priests to rule the earth and subdue it. Mm. And, you know, we fell in the garden of Eden and we wanted to try to take mm -hmm. that kingship for ourselves. Right. And so God creates mm -hmm. Israel to try to like bring humanity back to him. And Israel falls into idolatry. They sin. They can't keep the promise, the covenant promises and they get sent into exile. And so afterwards, you know, God keeps promising through his prophets that he's going to return. He's going to bring Israel back from exile. He's going to be with his people. But when they come back to the promised land, God doesn't come back into the second temple like he did with Solomon's temple. He doesn't come with fire and be mm. with his people. And so, uh -huh. you know, the story of the Old Testament kind of ends on a cliffhanger. And that's when the New Testament writers with the Gospels pick up the story with Jesus, where, where Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story. You know, in Deuteronomy, Moses talks about how yeah. um, if Israel breaks the covenant, they will be exiled and died. It's it's called the covenant curses. And in Galatians 3, Paul mm -hmm. says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Jesus, yeah. you know, as the representative of Israel, excuse me, he dies on the cross and suffers the consequences of Israel's failure to follow the covenant. And he unites you know, humanity and God again and reconciles us to him. And, mm. you know, the entire New Testament is written with that um, assumption in mind yeah. that, that Jesus's resurrection fulfills Israel's like mission to the world and reconciles all of humanity to God. And so it's so important yeah. that, that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it's just amazing. It blows my mind whenever I talk about it anytime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and Paul makes such a big deal about the resurrection, uh, and it's so so much so is that is he can conclude that if Christ has not been raised, this is First Corinthians fifteen seventeen, your faith is futile because you're still in your sins, you know, um, and I think you know that Jesus being crucified and crucifying sin is a huge point of scripture, um, but that he rose as a new man. You know, that 
is all, is where all of our our hope as believers lies that he became a new man and that he was the first fruits of becoming the new man just like we would be new people new creations in a similar vein like that that we would one day live in a world without sin without injustice without uh decay without uh worry that that we were going to mess things up it would like he he rose again to show us that he actually accomplished what he set out to do in curing the world of its of its sickness yeah man that's awesome dude yeah so we could talk about this for so long but we're gonna we're gonna take a little break on the other side of the break we're gonna continue this conversation so stick with us And we're back, uh, the second half of our podcast today. Um, we're going to start picking up where we left off, um, talking about the resurrection. But Frank, I want to ask you, how, how can we believe that the resurrection actually happened? Because there is a lot of uh, room for shade and gray area and doubt and everything like that. But how, how can we wrestle with if the resurrection actually happened? Man, so... This is touching on a topic that I find as like a, a hobby of mine, kind of. Um, so there's a phrase called apologetics, and it's a Greek word meaning defense. And so, you know, in First Peter, when he says, be sure to have a defense for when people like ask you where you find your hope. That's, mm-hmm. that's where this word come from, comes from, apologetics. And it's just the defense of the faith. And I did a lot of time digging into this when I was reconstructing the faith. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to recommend people um, to get a much better, deeper, fuller uh, understanding of this to check out a YouTube channel called Inspiring Philosophy. This guy is yeah. top notch. He cites biblical scholars and sources, and it's just amazing stuff. He has multiple different series, but one of his series is on the resurrection of Jesus. And what he kind of goes into is you know, there's four like theories on how like Jesus rose from the dead or, or, or around the resurrection. There's the mythic theory, which people believe that all the events and the miracle claims of Jesus were made up at a later time. So, you know, the first the first disciples thought Jesus was maybe just like a man. And then like 100 years later, people are like, oh, he's a God. Right. Um, there's a conspiracy theory, which states that all the disciples just made it all up. There's a hallucination mm-hmm. theory where the disciples just had hallucinations that Jesus rose from the dead. And then there's what we all believe, the resurrection theory, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so, you know, we're going to kind of just quickly touch on some of this stuff because, okay. like I said, when I was building that pyramid, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of my faith. If the, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, like Paul says, our faith is futile. And so like I made sure that I researched this. And when I said earlier that the resurrection is the most like attestable miracle in history, it's true. So, you know, going with the mythic theory, right. You know, all the events and miracle claims of Jesus were made up at a later time. The new Testament is a reliable manuscript, right. And it's based on multiple Mm -hmm. criteria. So, you know, in the first century Greco Roman culture, no author who was, like making up something or whatever would would enter things that would like embarrass people or um, would just like 
have stuff in it that was super attestable to like the time. So for example, there's um, some phrases in Luke uh, verses in Luke where they use like coinage, like money. And it's like uh-huh. the exact money that they used in first century Palestine at the time. So if somebody uh-huh. were like making this stuff up later, they would have had to have been in first century Palestine to like know this information. Um, right. So that's like out the window, you know, in first Corinthians 15, um, they think that that's like an early creed. Right. Um, and, and the uh. reason they kind of come up with that idea is that it's like a mnemonic structure with parallelism. It's less than 50 words. They think it was used to like train new believers in the faith. And it's just some simple uh. thing that they could memorize. And this thing was, was, you know, Paul's letter in first Corinthians is dated to around the 50 or 60 AD. So, you know, 20 or 30 years after the death of Jesus, people have already, like had all of this stuff to attest that Jesus it rose from the dead. Right. And so yeah, yeah. the mythic theories out, like that's not credible. So then there's the conspiracy theory where the disciples just made it all up. Right. The idea that a first century Jew would have their Jewish Messiah be crucified and raised from the dead is laughable to this day. That's why the Jewish people don't believe Jesus is the Messiah because it's so offensive to the Jewish people. And uh-huh. no, nobody would make that up, especially in a Greco-Roman culture, to try to get converts. Bodily, bodily resurrection was offensive to Greco-Roman people. They believed like Epicurean thought where when people die, their soul gets released from their body and they escape from prison yeah. to go to like another spiritual plane. So that doesn't make any sense. Plus, in the Greco-Roman world and Jew- Jewish culture – women were like not a credible witness but the the gospels have mary as the first woman to ever see the risen jesus and jesus says go Uh tell the disciples that i've risen from the dead right mary is the first person to ever preach the gospel and she's a woman there's Uh no way people making up a story to try to get disciples would have ever had a woman like be the first preacher there's no way be the main the, be the, the, the person yeah, to deliver the message. No way. Totally <laughs> offensive to Jews and Greco-Roman people. The disciples all ran away when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They fled. They were cowards, right? And I mean, it was a scary mm. situation. I get it. But if you're making up a story, why would you have stuff like that? That's called the criteria of embarrassment, right? And so that that alone makes the conspiracy theory not make sense. So then maybe they all hallucinated, right? Dude, the risen Jesus was seen in groups of people and group hallucinations in scientific data. There's like no data to support group hallucinations that, yeah. that, that are multi-sensory. So for example, people see him and hear him and can talk to him and he's eating food in front of them. And everybody saw this all at the same time. It saw the exact same thing. There's no recorded hallucinations like that in history. Right. You know, maybe they, maybe they were, they had the power of suggestion, right? Maybe, maybe they like were hoping so much that Jesus would rise from the dead that they just saw what they thought they saw. But like I said earlier, a Jew would never have expected their Messiah to die, much less rise from the dead. Right. So studies have shown that when people get like, have the power of suggestion, like hypnotism, they have to have an expectation of an outcome. They have to be emotionally excited and they might have to be even like informed beforehand like if if the resurrecting mm. messiah was a thing to expect right but none of that mm. they didn't expect him to rise they didn't have any information beforehand and a bunch of the scared like depressed disciples in the room on you know a sabbath day 
they weren't in a situation to to be suggested that Jesus might have risen from the dead and hallucinate that. So at the end of the day, the resurrection that Jesus actually rose from the dead fits all the most historical evidence and data mm. that we have. Yeah, that's so cool just to see it from so many different uh, lenses and questions. Um, you know, and, and just to add to that, Paul's Paul's own defense is that there was tons of witnesses, yeah. you know, and, and in First Corinthians 15, I think it's verse three to eight. He lists out all the people that have seen Christ who have visibly seen him with their eyes. He says, what I received, I pass on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So his whole emphasis is about, like, people actually saw him. People actually saw him. And it's interesting because if you, if you think about the reliability of anything over an extended period of times, what's the criteria for the reliability of something? Well, Generally speaking, at least for, for scripture, at least, um, the reliability on something is that it has to be universally accepted. I mean, universally accepted as in it has to be accepted by a lot of people that this is true. Right. So if people in as a mass, as a whole, you know, of this group, maybe Christians accept these testimonies as true, then generally it's true. OK, but then you can still go a step further. Um okay, you have to look at evidence. How many, how many testimonies is there? Well, there's over 500 that he lists. Usually any journalist that's doing journalism reporting, they might have a few sources, a few sources that corroborate a story and they go and publish the story. And that story is a fairly credible one based on the credibility of the sources. But this one has like 500 plus sources all saying something very, very similar. Well, and actually what makes it even more accurate is that they're not saying exactly the same thing, but they're saying in, in meaning and, and, and basic experience the same thing, but from unique perspectives, right? So all the disciples and all the apostles that write gospels and letters, you know, they have different, they have different experiences and that actually makes it more authentic, you know? And then like for any, uh, any piece of literature to have, existed for thousands of years like what we have and to have existed it's an abundance like as in these things were continually recirculated for hundreds of years on hundreds of years on hundreds of years that that gives it an amount of credibility that not that no other piece of of literature or any other piece of recorded something has no no other uh like you can't take the tragedies you know, from early Greek culture, they wouldn't have as many copies as we have of scripture today. You know, it was just reproduced so many times. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I remember hearing something that like, okay, the, the Odyssey or like the Iliad, you know, those ancient books from Homer. Um, yeah. You know, they, they say that there were only like five or six copies of that, that was found from the ancient world. And yeah. I think like, 
there's thousands of manuscripts from the first and second century, well, second century, I don't, I don't know how much of it's from the first, but second century, finding all these manuscripts is super close to the time it was written, right? That's like really good archaeology. So, um, yeah, like you were saying, man, like there's not very much of other stuff that people take like, oh, this, this has actually happened or whatever, like history, right? Whereas there's yeah. thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament and then people try to say like, oh, that's not enough. It's weird. Yeah. And then, you know, just to make a last point on the credibility of the whole thing, the resurrection, um, I do think that I don't think conviction comes from an intellectual agreement. You know what I mean? Like Ty, my, One guy I enjoy listening to, he's a colleague. His name's Ty Gibson. Um, he pastors down in Eugene. Um, he said, and he's into apologetics big time. He said, he's like, you can make an intellectual believer that's an emotional atheist, right? So a person can be unconverted that still even agrees that this is a possible, this is a possible reality, right? But I believe that every person has to be emotionally converted as well as intellectually converted. And I think for each person, God works that out over time. And he did for me, he did for you. Um, you know, I, it took me actually longer. It, it took me to come to a place of heartbreak where God could come speak to my heart. And then it came to, I need to search out the scriptures and understand if this is actually possible, that God is actually real and good and all these kind of things and loving. And I found that in scripture too. So I think that for each person individually, you have to go on that journey of saying, okay, I'm going to examine this. I'm going to question this. I'm going to pursue, you know, I'm going to pursue this as a rational thing, but also as a, as a hard thing too. And, um, and I think, you know, I think that ultimately that's what faith is. It's very, very personal and each person has to come into faith in their own way. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I've heard the saying, God has no grandchildren and I find that to be pretty funny and true, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. just, you know, be a family generation into the faith. You have to make the decision yep. to believe in the resurrection and to follow our Lord Jesus on your own. Right. Yeah, And you mentioned Absolutely. Ty Gibson. I want to tell you something. Um, Ty Gibson is one of the few people I owe my uh, new, like new being um, a new believer to um, my, my mm. father-in-law. He kind of walked me through Ty Gibson's truth link series and mm -hmm. it, it shattered and my like worldview and it pulled open mm. the veil, just like my father-in-law said. And it was the beginning of me really deconstructing and reconstructing my faith. So you know what? Mm. If we could ever get Ty Gibson on this show for an interview, I would probably cool. flip out because Ty Gibson <laughs> is awesome and I like him a lot and he has great things and he does great things. And yeah, he's just a great guy. So thank you, Ty, for saving my life or being a part of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can get him yeah, on one of these that'd days. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> would be cool. Um, so, so Troy, so, okay, yeah. we've just had this long talk about Easter and how important it is and all that, but, um, you know, we're, we're living in a big pandemic and life's scary. What is, what does Easter mean for us right now? Like this is relevant faith, right? So, so how is Easter relevant to me right now? I'm stuck at home. Like I, I may, mm -hmm. my job's in jeopardy. I don't know where, what's going to happen in the next couple months what is why should i even care about easter right now yeah well it's that moment of hope 
that point of hope, uh, ultimately, that there is always an upside to every dark moment, you know? And, and so, like, in Christ's life in that week, like we've been talking about a lot today, um, he had the darkest moment of his life at Gethsemane and then the cross and was end- ended up being tortured, brutalized, murdered, and and and, and abandoned at, to make it all worse. But on the other side of that darkness, a new life was born in him. You know, God raised him through the power of the spirit because death could not hold him. You know, death could not keep love down and he became the new man. And so he was ultimately humbled beyond humiliation. Right. But he was resurrected in glory. Right. And so I think that that's an important thing for us to remember that the worst that could ever, ever be for us. God still plans glory on the other side of our darkness. And, you know, that's something that always gives me hope. I've, you know, I've gone through seasons of major, major depression in my life where I could not see hope, but uh, there was just an ounce of, of Jesus that was keeping me with my head above water when I felt like I was just drowning in sorrow or drowning in confusion or hopelessness or whatever. There was just one thread of hope that I had there, and it was enough to get me through those things. Um, so hope goes a long way, and that's ultimately what the resurrection is about. Yeah, dude. It's it's funny because, you know, we have Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And I think a lot of people forget about Holy Saturday. And it's so, so interesting that God chose a Sabbath day to lay in a tomb. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and so it's funny because if you if you try to put yourself as one of the, the first disciples, you don't expect Jesus to get crucified. And then the Romans, <laughs> you're like hated enemy that's oppressing you and taxing you into poverty and thinks you're stupid and suppressing your belief in Yahweh and they kill your leader and what, who you thought was the Messiah who was going to overthrow Rome. And you're sitting there on a Sabbath day. You can't really do anything because it's Sabbath rest and you're freaking out thinking you're next. Yeah. That's kind of where we are is as a society and as a world We're we're huddled in a room with bated breath, wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. Yeah. Are, is, exactly. is, you know, are we going to get sick? Is, are we going to lose our jobs? Is something going to happen? And, you know, God doesn't yes. promise that life's going to be good, but you know what? That next day in the morning, you know, first day of the week, Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead and it yep. just changes human history, new creation, you know, the lion and the lamb, come together and it's not the way we think it is it's not yet all the way fulfilled but it's part of it and it's the start of it and it's the first fruits like you said earlier and so you know we have hope that jesus rose from the dead so will we we can we will rise from the dead too and it may not be three days like jesus but at one day we will rise from the dead and then god will wipe the tears from our eyes there will be no more pain no more suffering no more coronavirus you know, I'm looking forward to like being a farmer and I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, go ski sometimes Jesus hang out. It'll be awesome. I can't wait. And that, that yeah. time can, that time will come. And so we just yeah. can, can be together as a church and live lives of hope, looking forward to that new creation, that new heavens and new earth. And Jesus will be with us. And so, you know, Easter, Easter has massive significance and it's, it may not be 
the way we used to do it, you know, with church Easter services and Easter bunnies. But if we really can dig down into the Bible story of what Easter meant, what the resurrection mm-hmm. of Jesus means, I think it'll be good for all of us. So, yeah. And there's a part too that, that applies to daily living too, that I think is, is often overlooked. Um, I had never made this parallel before, but, but this week I've been reading first Corinthians 15 over and over and over, and I'll be preaching from it um, this weekend. But one thing that I realized is, is the beginning of the, the chapter starts with Paul talking about the appearing but then later in the chapter, Paul goes into this really long dialogue about our bodies dying, perishing, right? And about, you know, the earth, the seed has to die for the, 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 the grain or the, the wheat or the, the fruit to grow, right? And so we die in one sense in this physical body that's been affected by sin, you know, our inherited from Adam body, physical body. You know, that dies, but God brings forth a new creation in us. And and one of the reasons I believe that he appeared is to witness to the type of new creation we would be, you know. And and so we notice a different Jesus pre-resurrection uh, where Jesus is a f- fully human in everything he does. And after the resurrection, Jesus appears walking through a wall, you know. So yeah. he's like... He has a different form. And I think, you know, not just in the coolness of that new form, but Jesus was revealing to us that this is actually the type of, of, of life, of body, of reality that we will 100% have at the resurrection. And so what I think is that Jesus ultimately points our vision less on today and more about living for that end. So like every action I take today is to prepare me for that end or not to prepare me because that sounds like too much like God is testing us in this life or whatever. I don't think that that's accurate. But what God does is he allows us to live in the reality of what's not yet here today in order to demonstrate the reality of his hope, of his new creation. So every act of, of, of justice that we do today is just evidence that we're living in the new creation, right? Every alleviation of, uh, of a, a person's human suffering is just, a, it's an incarnation of our new creation reality um, by faith today. And so while we yet have not received our new bodies, we've received our new spirits and we're beginning to allow God to reign now. And so, you know, Paul makes this argument in the middle of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, he's talking about this like rich group of people that um, that were saying, well, there's no resurrection. And so we're just going to eat, drink and be merry and live life to the fullest, essentially. And he's like, Paul's like vehemently like, no, no, like, don't go back to the way of sin. The, because the resurrection actually happened, like we should be living for for that future reality more than ever. Like he's like, why do you think? that I put myself in danger every single day. Like I put myself in at death's door every day because I'm not living for now. I'm living for what's yet to come by faith. And I'm living the righteousness of Christ now by faith. And, and I think that's just a, a vital component to, to practicing faith now and, and believing in Christ now. Yeah, man, 
that's great. I can't wait for the future and, and the new creation. It's going to be awesome. Well, everyone, um, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Share this with your friends. Um, be sure to watch our live streams. And uh, just want to say happy Easter. He is risen, and we can have hope and faith in him. So, uh, Troy, would you be willing to, to lead us out with a prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Holy God, we thank you so much that um, that you have done it. You have finished an impossible work. You have put the world back together. Uh, you have you have corrected the bent that we that we've had. Um, you have healed us. You have saved us. You have redeemed us, and we can live by faith uh, in this resurrected reality today. In the Spirit, we get to live the righteousness of God today and we thank you for that and lord we thank you that you are going to come and return and you are going to give us a better life than we can ever imagine so god in the meantime uh, help us live by faith and live in the hope that you've promised and thank you god that we know that right now you are active and alive and interceding for a broken world that's suffering at the hands of a, a pandemic, that's suffering in the hands of violence, that's suffering at the hands of oppression. We thank you that you are the God that's intervening right now for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. Jesus came into the world announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. Culture wants to have the kingdom without him, but Jesus is as relevant today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Thank you for listening as we wrestle with how to live as disciples of Jesus in our modern culture and to share our relevant faith. Happy Easter. God bless.